Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yay, we got it. All right, give me one second. Let me full screen. Let me go to my OBS. And then uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the folks at home and a little bit of what we're going to be talking about tonight? Certainly. My name is Dan Norton, and I have a YouTube channel, which I could, I don't know if I should stick that in the chat, but I can also just tell you it's uh, youtube.com slash Dan Norton one. You can also search on the term selfishness project. I have a lot of videos on the topic of selfishness. So if you put selfishness project in the YouTube search engine, it should be an easy way to find it. I promote Ayn Rand's ideas. I would consider myself an objectivist, not a libertarian, although many people uh, use those terms interchangeably, or at least in an overlapping way. But the, the way I distinguish those is... Um, First of all, objectivism is an entire philosophy. It's not just about politics. So there's views about metaphysics, the nature of reality, epistemology, the theory of knowledge, ethics. And then on top of that entire uh, basis, uh, there are also political views, whereas libertarianism is usually just considered a political philosophy. Also, many libertarians are anarchists. They, they don't believe in any kind of government. I don't agree with that sort of view. I think there should be a government just a limited, limited in scope, much more limited than it is today in the U.S. So that's some about how I would differentiate uh, objectivism from libertarianism. And I am happy to talk about whatever aspect of objectivism, or if you want to think of it as libertarianism, if that's, if that's uh, easier, uh, we can, we can uh, do that as well. No, it's okay. I'm uh, I am down for wherever the conversation. Like, I don't like to pigeonhole people into certain perspectives, especially if they don't hold it. But I wouldn't mind because I, I do have a decent amount of frustrations, particularly with libertarians and anarcho capitalists. But if you're saying that your philosophy isn't perfectly aligned, and on top of that, yours don't necessarily deal with the same problems then I would be curious how your philosophy deals with the same problems. Uh, so, for instance, you mentioned that you're not necessarily an anti-statist. Uh, somewhere where I philosophically lined up recently, probably within the past five years, to be honest, was I used to be and still am pretty skeptical, uh, skeptical of institution and organized groups. But I do think that when you look at power... There's not much of a way to wield power except for through an organized group, whether that's private or public. And as such, instead of just declaring all institutions evil, we should seek to promote healthy and healthy and helpful institutions and try to mitigate the negative consequences of the negative ones. And that's kind of where I landed. So how do you view power? like collectivism uh, in that kind of sense? And then how do you balance against that as an individual from an objective standpoint? Okay, so I just want to mention one thing. Um, I, I am anti-statist, but mm -hmm. I'm not anti-state. So Can you explain the difference? If, yeah, so if by statist you mean a an all-powerful government, a kind of totalitarian state where the state is heavily involved in telling people what you know, how much of their income they have to give to the government and taxing people, regulating people. I oppose that. Okay. But I do think there should be a state, if that simply means a government, to protect people's 
uh, from force. That's basically the only thing I think government should be in the business of doing is protecting people from physical force. So it should have a police force to protect people from criminals. It should have a military to protect people from foreign enemies. And then it should have a court system to peacefully settle disputes between people. But that's the only thing the government should be doing, in my view. Yeah, so uh, that that kind of immediately brings to mind, I, I believe the term minarchism has been used in the past, where it should only be used for the security forces, basically. And so my, not, not that I'm saying these are identical, I'm just saying that these are terms that people might be familiar with. And so my follow-up question would be, there's obviously certain things of human need that don't necessarily line up with this view, whether we're talking about food or healthcare or other uh, human ventures. It seems like there's a bunch of things that could result in human misery and death, but isn't necessarily like guaranteed by the private sector. So how do you view the interactions between like human need and the private sector? Right. So I, I think you might have in mind things like uh, welfare that's that's meant to help people who are, um, well, not well off. Um, and I, I was watching one of your other videos today where you were talking about uh, people who are handicapped. They can't support themselves. So don't we need uh, a government to take care of them? So there's there's several things to say about that sort of consideration. Um, one is I think the the number of people or the percentage of people who literally can't support themselves, they can't do anything to support themselves and they're entirely dependent on others, I think is a very small percentage. I'm guessing it's well under 1%. It's so easy today to uh, support yourself, especially with computer technology. An example I sometimes uh, go to is data entry. Even if you're handicapped, even if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're missing your legs. You can't even go out and go out and about. You can still sit at your computer and type stuff into stuff into a uh, computer screen and someone would pay, pay you for that. I think the opportunities would be much more if we didn't have things like minimum wage that put a, a, uh, a limit on what employers are uh, willing to pay. There are people who uh, might have trouble finding traditional jobs, but if they were able to work for, you know, whatever anyone was willing to pay them, then they could support themselves. Maybe not live like a king. Although poor people today, so-called poor people, have iPhones and and computers and live richer than kings did uh, 500 years ago. But um, poverty is, you know, there's a relative sense of poverty and there's an absolute sense of poverty. I think we've pretty much conquered at the absolute sense of poverty, like you see in sub-Saharan Africa, for instance. For instance, you know, people are living less than, than on a dollar a day. Um, well, but... so the uh, so the, there's some objections that we're already bumping into. How do you feel about collective bargaining or uh, basically workers being able to negotiate their uh, their living conditions and their wages as a group? So, for instance, like even on like an individual institutional level, let's say that there was a group of people. Uh, who were working, I don't know, at the at the data entry, whatever, and the employee, uh, the employer wanted to pay them $2, uh, you know, for a living wage or whatever. And then they wanted to make $5 an hour and they got together and they said, hey, for, for data entry, we're going to do this. 
um, you know, we, we want these kinds of rates, these kinds of things. Do you have any problem with collective bargaining as an offset to the minimum wage? Or do you just think like even that should be barred from the security apparatus of the state? I think the state should not at all be involved with setting uh, prices or including the prices of labor, that is wages. So I think whatever you can bargain for voluntarily, as long as it's mutually agreed upon by both parties voluntarily consent to it, then that's okay. What I oppose is the government pointing a gun at one or both parties and saying, you must pay at least this amount and you must accept, you know, now pointing at the prospective employee, you must accept this amount. You're not allowed to accept something underneath this amount. Uh, I, I disagree with that. Well, I and think I, I think I think that's interesting is, uh, because there's actually potentially leftist uh, or like uh, conceptions here. And what I would argue is that kind of what we're talking about is, you know, price ceilings and price floors. Right. And there's a lot of pres- perverse incentives to price ceilings and price floors because they can uh, they, they can create artificial market forces that kind of make the market worse. One of the arguments against the minimum wage, even from a left-wing perspective, is the fact that you're basically setting a price floor that kind of makes it so it's even harder to negotiate for better wages and better living conditions because the government has already artificially set it at this rate. So employers can just be like, yep, seven bucks an hour, suck it, take it or leave it. And that kind of screws over the workers and the employers. Uh, So how do you feel about that analysis? I haven't, I'm not sure off the top of my head, like maybe it does have that effect where it makes it even harder to bargain for a better wage if the, the government sets some kind of price floor. Hmm. My my primary way of thinking about it, though, is a moral kind of perspective on it. I think it's immoral for the government to initiate force, basically, in essence, to point a gun at someone and said, you must do this or we're going to haul you off to jail. Hmm. Um, that's what I oppose. I think people should be free to decide on their own, use their own individual judgment as to is this a good opportunity for me? Do I want to accept this or not? It's nobody else's business to you know, to. Uh, enter between for it's no it's no third party's business to interfere with uh two other people who are voluntarily trading with each other so, i think that should be up to them so th- this is kind of my thing i know that you're one of the things that you said earlier is the the capacity of people to work is like less than one percent uh i am a little bit more uh elitist when it comes to the capacity for like what people are capable of and by elitist i just mean like i think most people are stupid so, like, do you not think that this could potentially create an environment in which uh, people who don't know how to advocate in their own self-interest are taken advantage of by people who do? Like, do you, do you not think, like, like, foresee those kinds of consequences and those kinds of things? Because for me, the, the frustration with this perspective is, like, you take, you take a fundamental moral axiom and then you say nobody should you know, uh, use force in order to manipulate a content or uh, contract. It should all be voluntary. But then there are examples, like for instance, in like the 19th century labor market where people were engaging in voluntary contracts, but they were doing so out of necessity. If you're like a farmer who just got kicked off of the farm because industrial technology basically took away your job, you move into the city and you need to eat. Well, you're going to work for $3 an hour and maybe get your finger stuck in a pickle jar because you need the work in order to feed yourself. Also, uh, if you're that desperate for work and the labor pools are such that 
there isn't, uh, there's so much more labor than there is work, then you might accept a situation without healthcare. And as a result, if you get injured or disabled, you may no longer be able to work. And as a result, that financial burden now falls to people who care about you. So do you not see within your own system where these kind of like negative externalities, uh, how, one, do you see these negative externalities? And then two, how does your system account for them? Okay. So one thought on all this is the, the history of capitalism, or the, I don't think there's ever been pure capitalism in the sense of no government regulation or taxes at all, but I think probably the closest uh, we've ever come, maybe the closest we've ever come is late 19th century America. And I'm not very versed in that history. I've read a little bit about it. Ayn Rand has a book called Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, where she has some essays in there about the history of capitalism and correcting some of the, the smears and distortions about the history of capitalism. Um, and I would point people to that for some of the particular historical examples that are often raised about how allegedly terrible capitalism was. I, I myself um, can't say a whole lot about that. But in general, just I, I have a background in philosophy. I went to graduate school for philosophy. Um, from a more philosophical perspective, I'll just say that I think when you free people up in general, in the long run, that's going to raise everyone's standard of living, everyone's standard of living, not just the people who are already rich. It's not true that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Everyone gets richer when you have freedom. Freedom leads to prosperity. And uh, you can certainly uh, make people uh, temporarily uh, more wealthy if you steal from them, like a mugger on the street. <laughs> he can he can make himself wealthier very quickly just by pickpocketing somebody. And the government can make uh, you know a bunch of people wealthy very quickly uh, by you know taxing other people's wealth. But when you when you set that press, when you initiate again, people I think that creates a full standard would be much higher if we didn't have all the government intervention, um, which allows people to you know get short short run gains off of this program, Medicare or that program, Social Security. All these things are just ways of getting a short run grab that temporarily increases some people at the expense of others. It's sacrificing everyone worse off. I think people will do much better if we have. Uh, freedom for everyone. And for the history of that, I, again, I would refer you to free market historians who have written on this. Okay. So the, the, the reason why I'm going to push back a little bit is because a lot of people are currently frustrated with the way the market works because um, wages have been stagnant and because the standard of living seems to be falling. Uh, so I think that you can look at the standard of living of a peasant and say, oh, yeah, well, m you know, working in a factory is obviously better than being a peasant because you can sell your labor and you can actually afford goods. And because the factory is uh, producing goods, then you can, uh, you know, ba basically benefit from those produced goods. And because of specialization, you know, the general the general well-being of everybody goes up. I think that's undeniable. And that's part of the the glory of capitalism is that specialization and entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurialism and all that kind of stuff can can create private wonders that are frankly astonishing. I, I don't think anybody denies that. I think what people do deny 
is that the business owners have any incentive in order to improve the lives of their employees past what is absolutely necessary in order to secure labor. And I think that's the frustration from a labor perspective is when all you have to sell is your labor, you can be very limited in what you can achieve, especially if you're not particularly smart, if you're not, um, you know, a, a talented individual, if you are kind of dumb and reliant on, you know, your, your fundamental skills, kind of what we were talking about, the disabled people who can do data entry. If that, if everybody or a bunch of people are super dumb or not educated for whatever reason, and all they have is their ability to click, uh, click keys on a keyboard, then the value of that labor is going to be very low. And because of the value of that labor being very low, their standard of living is not going to be great. So that, that's kind of where for me, it, it boils down to more than just fundamentals, because I think there's, there's a question here which is should human life serve the economy or should the economy serve human life? And for me, it kind of feels like you're landing harder on the human life should serve the economy because ultimately it's a reciprocative relationship. That's kind of what I'm hearing. I don't really think of it in terms of human life should serve the economy. I mean, the economy sounds like a sort of disembodied thing when you put it that way. I mean, the economy, if you think of it as just a, a collection of individuals working together, trading with each other, then it's, uh, you know, people people are helping themselves, you know, every act of trade, hopefully there's some kind of mutual benefit going on. Um, one individual sees it as to his interest to trade with some other individual and vice versa. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing trade. So it's a win-win kind of transaction. And I see that with employment relations. It's a win-win kind of relation. I don't think have a right to a certain standard of living. It may be that if you're not very intelligent, if you're disabled, then the opportunities available to you are going to be more limited than you know if you are super intelligent and are fully able. But that's just a fact of reality. And I, I don't think that it's it's that justifies holding a gun to someone's head and demanding uh, as a matter of right that they pay you a certain amount in order to give you a certain uh, standard of living. I just think that's immoral. Well, so you, you have to trade for what you can get. If you, you can rely on private charity too. That's well, so if you're so not making enough, let's um let let's put a pin in private charity, and we we can kind of use that as a, a an escape uh, if we need to. But what the what I've heard argued, and which I which I, what I find sympathetic, is that there are certain um, things that are threats to life. A as an example, you know, if you are one of these people who, you know, guess what? Let, you know, life sucks and you got thrown a shitty hand. You know, you got type 2, type 1 di diabetes, whatever. Um, and just kind of you're, you're, you're fucked and you can only sell your, your way. You only have certain skills and as a result, you can only sell your labor in a certain way. The kind of the way that you view force is the way that these people view uh, the threat of death from medical complication. So if they can't afford a certain medication that's necessary for them to continue to survive and they they're required to make a certain wage in order to survive that and they can't find that wage, then they just die. Now, on some level, if you were going to appeal to like a, a natural selection bias, 
you know, should we be selecting for and deleting certain people who can't take care of themselves? Maybe if you were like a pretty harsh Darwinian bastard, um, that would be the way to go. But uh, I, I would like to think that a lot of people set like in our modern era have said, nah, like if you get a shitty shake at life, then we shouldn't just be able to say, you know, fuck you, you know, roll over and die. Uh, we should say, nah, we're going to collectivize our resources in order to guarantee you a certain uh, capacity and access to medical care and wages. And so that that's where that that moral impulse comes from, is that as much as you don't like somebody pointing a gun at somebody else in order to secure a certain amount of material well-being on behalf of that person, that person doesn't want to die because they can't individually secure that material well-being through their own advocacy. Yeah, so if you're in that position, I think the thing to do is to seek out private charity. If you really can't support yourself, I mean, this is true even if you're you're not disabled, even if you're just a regular person, but you, you get hit with cancer or something and you, you have a, a huge medical bills, you can seek out charity. I still don't think the way to deal with it is to uh, point guns at people. Um, I think people will be uh, much more benevolent towards you if you ask them, if you know, if you seek out their help. I certainly am going to be more benevolently disposed to somebody who, who seeks out my help voluntarily rather than pointing at me and demands that I, uh, in a way, be their slave. I mean, isn't that what slavery is? You're, you're, you're threatening force against someone with whips or chains or guns and saying, you do this. Or else I'm going to punish you. I'm going to physically inflict pain, uh, harm upon you. I don't think that's that's uh, conducive to a benevolent society. Uh, I think that's a, a form of exploitation, and I, I think that's that's a bad way to interact with other human beings. I think it's a violation of rights. I think the way to go about is to ask for that charity, and then people will be more benevolently disposed to help you out if you do ask for it. So, and there, you... oh, one just one other point hmm. on that, uh, real hmm. quick. People will have much more ability Question to help you if they're not being taxed. Does he know he right now, to the people man. are taxed, and all that money for arming Ukraine uh, is with going to causes they're not choosing. Twitter but if they had more money that Russian wasn't being taxed away, then Russia they could donate more fire. to charity. Shame, shame, Even today, dear. when there is taxes, people still give money to charity. So I don't think there's going to be a problem. There's not going to be like an absence of charity uh, in the system I envision. I think there would be more, perhaps. Well, okay, but then the so so number one, th this would be a, a moral or like an individualist question. Um, so let let's say that you're so let, empathizing or sympathizing with the person who's in the negative position. Do you think that just through natural circumstance of being born with a shitty disease, uh, they should have to uh, against maybe their sense of dignity? go because what we're talking about is we're talking about begging that that's what we're talking about you know we're we're talking about you know begging for somebody to see your life as valuable enough that it's worthy of some level of subsidization so it can be continued do you not see that like that person might be similarly disposed to being affronted or angered or feel like they're having uh you know threat of death or great bodily harm thrust upon them through the material circumstances of society just through virtue of their birth and that they might equally see that as a moral affront that just through being biologically unlucky they they're forced to beg and be subject to the whims of other people who are better off 
I, I mean, it's, it's not a great position to be in. I, I don't know that they would have to beg. I think people would would be uh, benevolent towards them and just voluntarily uh, help them out. I think that's a likely scenario in a system of freedom. I think people are more benevolent towards each other when they have than when they have guns pointed at each other. I don't think that is uh, hospitable to uh, benevolence towards others. So um, what what would compel? What would compel? Okay, so number number one. So what would compel anyone? Um, let's say that we were purely in a system of voluntarism and and everybody could dispose with their income as they saw fit. Um, listen, I I like helping people, but if there's no moral expectation of me helping people, why wouldn't I take? Because because we're talking about a, a negotiated society, and I, I think we see. Uh, I think anybody who's worked in any kind of corporation can see. Uh, incompetent and nepotistic behavior uh, resulting in some people rising to the top that has nothing to do with their competence. And so the the question being, like, why wouldn't that person just say, well, fuck it. This is my money. I made it in a voluntary system. It's my job to spend it how I see it fit. And frankly, I would rather do cocaine and hookers than give it to some person with fibromyalgia. What is to morally compel that person to voluntarily give up a chunk of their wealth uh, for the betterment of others when they there's no compulsion to do so? Well, for a given person, there might not, that person may not see a reason to. Maybe justifiably so. Um, people are irrational sometimes in what they choose to spend their money on. If they spend all their 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 money on cocaine and hookers, I don't think that's a a rational or self-interested thing to do. I don't think it's in their long-term rational self-interest to, to do, spend their money on those human, kinds of things. Do you think human beings are long-term self-interested creatures? I think they can be. I don't think they always are. I think that's the challenge of being a human being is to think rationally and long range about what's in your interest. I, I don't think everyone always automatically does, does that. But I think if, if people are of that mind, then I think they, they, they will more likely See, oh, here's here's some uh, very rare uh, condition this person has. There's there's not many people who have this. Sure, may, I can chip in a few bucks to help them out. Maybe other people will do the same. I don't like to see people suffer. That's not uh, conducive to a happy, benevolent sort of world that I want to live in. Someone you know just dying through no fault of his own. Sure, I'll help him out a little. I, I think that's a very rational, self-interested thing to do. So then I, what is to I, what is to prevent like the the militarization and separation of classes? So so for instance, like what I could see because we we're we're already kind of dealing with a uh, what I've heard referred to as a K economy, uh, meaning that there are people such as myself who are relatively intelligent, rel have the skills for the new world, and as a result, we can do things like we can actually do a whole bunch of things that were unimagined even a few years ago, work from home maintain a decent job with decent benefits, get paid more than we've ever gotten paid or gotten paid. And uh, we don't have uh, a commute anymore. And so we can cut down on expenses while also, um, while, while also basically enjoying technological things that make our lives even more convenient. But it also seems like there's a lot of people who are dealing with the downturn of a K economy. So for instance, like uh, Uber and Lyft drivers and all that kind of stuff. Now they're voluntary. And they might even be rational. Like I said, I, I think there, there's actually like an extremely rational uh, perspective for 
let me uh, drive because it's a it's a low skill job. It can make me money, this, that, the other. But a lot of people don't know the kind of information that would lead to you being able to profit from being a driver with Uber or Lyft. What I mean by that is like vehicle depreciation, uh, the, the vehicles basically, the vehicle costs being purely pushed off onto the participant. And while I think there are a decent chunk of people who can benefit, I think you can also make the argument that services like Uber and Lyft have basically externalized a lot of the costs that are associated with taxi cabs onto the drivers and then just said, fuck it, they're sign signing a voluntary contract. So, I mean, like we, we even see examples where people acting in rational self-interest ultimately could fuck over a lot of people where they're not making as much money as they think they are because they're not calculating costs that they are not even aware of to calculate. Okay. Um, well, the, one thing that's just leaping out at me as you're talking about this is um, I actually work for one of these companies, not Uber or Lyft, but uh, I, I drive for, for another company. It's a delivery company. It's one of these uh, independent contractor kind of deals. And I love it. I love the flexibility of it. I love the independence, independence of it. I can go out whenever I want, however much I want. Um, so I am just, I'm grateful that I have this opportunity and I, I'm very thankful to the company that employs me. I've actually never met my employer face to face. It was all done through the internet. Um, so I have no complaints at all. Uh, I'm, I'm just grateful. So, um, do you, I mean, do you, you have can, you, health insurance through this carrier? Uh, not through this particular carrier, although okay. I think they they might have given me some link at one point that uh, I clicked on, and that led it led me to some options for people who are in um, well, my so, sort of independent contractor so situation. Kind of, so, well, kind of cutting to where I'm going with that is, so let's say that you're, you know, like a recent immigrant from Venezuela, you're not used to American wages, you sign up, you get a car or whatever. And uh, basically you, you know, you say, fuck it. Like the, I'm making 15 to $25 an hour. I'm in the United States. This is fucking awesome. Making more money than I've ever made. I got a whole bunch of flexibility. And so you sign up for a car note and you start working for them and all that kind of stuff. Well, let's say halfway through that interaction, you develop a disease that you basically need medical care for, but because you're, you know, lower skilled, don't speak the language, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you basically can't, one, can't afford your fucking medicine, and then two, you're in contract work that you view as very freeing, uh, is, the, is the solution there just get good, like just be better, be smarter? Well, Okay, one thought on healthcare. I think we have a very messed up healthcare system. It's very regulated. Uh, so Medicare has been around for decades. Uh, so that's for the 65 and older. And the, but then we've also got the Medicaid. Um, there's lots of regulations, regulatory bodies like the FDA. We don't have a free market in healthcare. I think the options available to us would be much better. I mean, I can't even understand a bill. Every time I go to a doctor, they've got this explanation of benefits document. You need like a PhD to understand it. I'm exaggerating, of course. But I think we have so much complexity and inefficiencies in force. I mean, it all stems from the force. The government's gone in the, in the picture instead of letting people uh, freely trade with each other in a healthcare market, which has caused a very bad market in healthcare. So I think the options available to people who are just moving from Venezuela or wherever, 
are going to be much better if we truly have can a free I, market. Can I that. use an example though? Because because basically, I, I think I think I actually work in an industry that, or have worked in an industry that would be illustrative of something that wouldn't be illegal and would be purely voluntary. Uh, but basically, like people don't know what they're signing up for, and as a result of that, they're uh, they're basically getting shot in the foot pretty hard. So uh, I work, I work in, or I have worked in insurance and still work in insurance, but what I'm responsible for, what I was responsible for was the, uh, was the negotiation of contracts between uh, construction companies and, uh, and uh, excuse me, uh, insurance companies. That, that's really what I did. And so as a result of these negotiations, I kind of get to see everybody acting in their own self-interest. By that, I mean the insurance companies will not look for every excuse to not pay, but they will be looking for excuses or reasons to not pay. So if there is a reason to not pay, they won't. Then when you're looking at the contractors, what we're, what we're seeing is people who know that if they inflate a bill by you know 50% and everybody else is busy, maybe they won't be able to get a full 50% higher but they will be able to get 20% higher just for the sake of convenience um, out of the insurance company and out of the customer. Then when it comes to the customer, because the documents are so complex and sometimes are intentionally written in opaque language so that they, they're difficult to understand by the consumer, they're basically uh, at the whim of not understanding the contract that they've been paying into for years and if they're told no, oftentimes these people just accept a shitty settlement and then walk away because they've been told no. Whereas if you're somebody like me who understands the contracts, understands the businesses, understands everybody's perverse incentives, understands that everybody is trying to fuck each other at all times. It's not this like hand-holding positive environment in which everybody is acting in each other's rational self-interest. It's a completely cannibalistic environment in which very few people are honest actors and everybody seems to be trying to fuck over everybody at all times and they're seeing what they can get away with. So that's where for me, the, the, the benevolence or the, the appeal to benevolence that you're kind of appealing to, I don't see it. I don't see it in the private market as it currently exists. And I don't think it would like you know, materialize randomly if the government disappeared. Okay. Well, I think the, uh, the, so the issue of people just screwing each other over, I'm sure that that happens and maybe it'll happen no matter what system you have. But what I think a free market does is it incentivizes the people to be rational and long range. So the people who try to screw each other over and, you know, fly by night companies, they might get away with something for a while, but in the long run, they're going to acquire a bad reputation and maybe go out of business. There's going to be uh, places like Yelp, you know, review sites that people are screaming about them on. And over time, those those bad actors get weeded out. So well, what about what uh, about like um, trusts and monopolies? Because because to me, it seems like one of the main things that the market does is if you specialize, you use economy of scale, you kind of uh, compete and you beat everybody else. It's relatively simple. I mean, eventually you're right. Over time, these institutions corrode and combust. But it seems like while you're waiting for them to corrode and combust, 
there's a lot of damage done by like vertical and horizontal monopolies where people say, fuck it. We're the only five companies that provides these services. Let's have unofficial meetings in order to uh, rig prices and to corner the market on essential services. And then we'll basically charge what we want uh, beyond, uh, not, not necessarily beyond, but not a penny less than what the consumer is willing to pay because we can corner the market in this way. Like in a, in a, not, in a purely voluntary system, is there anybody who would regulate or break up these monopolies? And then what, and then as a consumer, is it just your job to wait for the monopolies to naturally corrupt, corrode and collapse against like new competition? Like, like, are you just fucked until a new competitor arises? Okay. So, so monopolies, that's, that's one issue that's come up, you know, can they just, charge whatever price they want, screw people over. Uh, Rockefeller, I think, is in a, uh, maybe a good example to use here. Again, I am not the historian of capitalism, but I know there's been uh, free market historians who have written about this. Rockefeller famously uh, kept his uh, prices very low, I think, all, all the time. I don't, I, I don't think he ever or – I'm not aware of him gouging people all of a sudden. And I I think what what drove him out of business was the discovery of was it this whale oil or something? I, I forget exactly how it goes. Or maybe it was Russia oil, oil in Russia was discovered. But anyway, I don't think it ever came to um, him jacking up his prices and then everyone gets gouged. I don't know that he would make uh, the maximum money that way <laughs> because if you jack your prices up so high that very few people can afford it, you know, much fewer people are going to buy your product. So it well, might be so, your, in your interest. So my, my, modern, low. my modern example would be cell phones. And so the, the reason why I bring that up is because this is like a very debt heavy industry and they're actually reliant. They, they're not subject to the same regulation as a lot of uh, other organizations because they're so debt heavy. They, they have to maintain infrastructure that is like unimaginable to people, right? Like telecommunications infrastructure is fucking crazy. It's literally billion dollar investments. Um, so my, my point with this being that when it comes to cell phones, smartphones in particular, they basically worked on price elasticity. If you looked at, you know, smartphones, maybe five, 10 years ago, smartphones were, you know, 300, 400 bucks, et cetera, for, for each device. And there was a whole bunch of competition. Well, what happened was because Apple and Android uh, are the main competitors, what they've worked with is most people, including old people, use smartphones so frequently for so many different things that they looked at price elasticity and they basically said, what are people, like, what is not a penny less than what people are going to be willing to pay. And as a result, you now have these cell phone contracts where people are signing up for $1,200 for basically like, you know, $200 pieces of equipment that are manufactured with fucking slave labor. But you're, you're basically cornered into what you want to do. And the only way to get around it is to get a non-competitive product. Now, I'm not necessarily complaining because a smartphone is a piece of like marvelous technology that's unimaginable. So I want to give props to the market for creating this phenomenal piece of uh uh, technology, but at the same time, like to pretend that these people aren't in some level of cahoots to like price fix when it comes to plans or when it comes to the prices of the products. I mean, they basically they've been caught 
multiple times having discussions about like collaborating networks and collaborating prices within this industry. So like, like, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, th this isn't just 19th century commentary about people losing fingers to the pickle jars. This is also like modern stuff that companies seem to be engaged in naturally because they do want to maximize profit. And also, also here, here's yeah. another question. Actually, I, I have another question about negative externalities. Um, so for instance, um, we would assume that uh, based off of the, you know, uh, the voluntary concepts, people would take environmentalism into uh, like into context because if you don't have an environment in which to compete, then you're kind of fucked, right? But what seems to be the, the action of a majority of like energy companies and a majority of our economy is can we pass off our externalities and then just ignore them until somebody calls us out? So how does a purely voluntary society deal with something as simple as pollution? Okay. So one thing there is I think property rights needs to be clearly defined. I think right now there's a lot of uh, land in the United States. I don't know what percentage of it is uh, not private. I think maybe, maybe over 50% if you consider the entire continent is just uh, government land. But I think land needs to be entirely private uh and probably water but, but, but we, as well. we've already seen problems with this though so so for instance like entirely private land they like they'll gut the fucking infrastructure they'll gut the environment they'll they'll eliminate all the trees they'll cause soil erosion the, so what's to prevent so okay so but if, if if you're mm -hmm. if you're just damaging your own land then it's that's okay you can do you can commit suicide if you want you can do harm to yourself what you can't do is do harm to other people's persons or property. So if you can show that you're doing damage to someone else's person or property, uh, then you can press charges. You can take that person to court. So that's what I mean when I say uh, we need to have clearly defined property rights. We can't have all this commons, tragedy of the commons. I don't know if that's the term, but land that belongs to no one in particular. And then you can't sue people for, for uh, doing damage to it. So we need well, to clearly define the rights and then mm -hmm. you can take things to the court if people violate well, them. So, so, so for instance, like in the, in this voluntary society, would you also take into account, for instance, all the games that are played in private industry right now, where, uh, companies, <laughs> excuse me, companies that are privately owned will basically like, you know, form shell corporations and then gut land. And then if they do get sued, they basically pass all of the negative costs down onto that shell corporation and then fire file for bankruptcy. And then the, the original people who were responsible for the creation of that subsidiary and then the environmental collapse, they basically get to walk away. Do you just say, Oh, well in our voluntary society, we are going to regulate the state well enough that people can't walk away from their externalities. And then on top of that, if we're talking about like a purely uh, voluntary society where there's like potentially perverse financial incentives worse than we already have because there's not much regulation, who's to prevent the system from being bribed from saying like, we always talk about like arbitration companies when it comes to like ANCAPs and shit. And so like, who's to say that like there isn't going to be a cornering of the market for arbitration companies that basically incentivizes people who are the richest and most powerful in order to fuck over the poor. And by the way, like th this is another thing, like it, it would be one thing if we like, like honestly, like I understand the philosophy and I, actually I I'll just share my frustration with you. Cause I think we could probably chase each other's tails for a while. I'll share my frustration. 
I understand that you have a moral bedrock. I, I understand and respect the moral bedrock, which is you shouldn't use force in order to enforce contracts unless it's purely necessary and uh, a majority a majority of human negotiation should be voluntary. I respect that philosophical bedrock. But for me, if I look back to history, uh, th there's, um, there's a Greek saying, which is the powerful do what they can and the weak tolerate what they must. And for me, the only thing that checks power is competitive power. So when you say, well, we'll all just be empowered individuals, what I'm really hearing is the smart, competent, intelligent people will compete and do well. And then the poor people and the dumb people, well, it sucks to suck. And that that's kind of what I think a lot of people hear when they hear this philosophy and economic perspective. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't see it that way at all. I think everyone is better off. I think, uh, you know, the... As, as I said before, you know, poor poor people today are so much better off than the richest of rich people uh, five five hundred years ago. So I think everyone is better off when you're free. That's that freedom is conducive to prosperity. Now there is going to be massive wealth inequality, um, but I don't see that as a problem. I don't think wealth inequality per se is is any problem at all. Um, so I don't think everyone has. A, a right to equality of outcome, equality of results, or even equality of opportunity. So some people inherit money. They're, maybe they, their parents were billionaires and they're just born into a fortune. And so they get lucky. Uh, I think that's okay. I don't think anyone else has a right to, to hold a gun up to the, the uh, people bequeathing their wealth to others and demand that they do something other than what they choose to do with it. Uh, I, I think we. What do you What do you what say? We, to, what we want is equality before the mm -hmm. law, not equality of, of uh, yeah, so, economics. So, getting back to like the negotiations of labor, um, what would you say? So, so one of the the main criticisms that I actually think is salient from a leftist perspective is that the uh, corporations and companies are institutions, and while a entrepreneur or a business owner can have a vision. It's ultimately the people underneath, the, the employees who execute that vision and who are cap capable of generating the wealth that is ultimately brought up to the billionaires. So, for instance, and I don't like economically illiterate leftists. I fucking hate them. The fact that they don't understand that billionaires don't have a checking account with one billion dollars sitting in it actually pisses me off. But. That being said, it is true that the the assets and all that kind of stuff is all gained under the assumption and the presumed work of like these institutions that are created, brought to wealth by the workers. So what is I don't know if you said that you have in opposition to unions, but what would prevent workers from basically coalescing and saying like, hey, we've been getting fucked over. You know, Tom got fired because he, uh, ba you know, basically lost his finger in a fucking pickling accident because he had to negotiate his wages. He doesn't have health insurance. Now he's down on charity. We think that's undignified and unjust. So as the pickle pickle employees, we're going to get together, collectivize, and we're going to say, 
for working conditions and for wages, we expect this much out of the company because we know this is how much money you make and we think this is a fair wage for us. Do you have any kind of moral imposition or a moral objection as long as those people don't literally commit criminal activity in order to uh, reach that negotiation? Like if they do walkouts or strikes? I have no objection as long as what they do is voluntary. So, and that includes uh, not violating contracts. So if they, they say they're going to do X, they sign their name on their employment contract that says, I'm going to work for such and such amounts. And then they, they, they don't do that. Well, then the, the company has a right to fire them. They're not, they're not living up to the terms they agreed to. Even so, if those, even if those contracts from like a perspective, let, let's say like uh, the Frito-Lay Corporation, I, I think this is uh, an actual example. Um, even if the Frito-Lay Comp- Corporation is basically saying like, hey, uh, you know, we, we need you as in, we need your employees. Uh, basically, the, these are the work hours that we're going to require of you and your mandated OT and here's your fucking wages. Now, <clears throat> for that, you're basically saying even if the, uh, the contracts would be potentially immoral, meaning that they're not making that much wage and they're work, working 80 hours a week. And because of like issues with the labor market, uh, the company's just saying, suck it the fuck up. Who gives a shit? You're saying as long as the, the employees sign the contract, they, you know, fuck it. Like that, that's pretty much it. I think they're bound by what they voluntarily agree to. Now, I would question the, the premise that it's an immoral contract, even if it has first terms. Uh, maybe it does have first terms, but if someone voluntarily consents to that, then I think they're bound by that. And that uh, if they don't live up to the contract they signed, then I think it's fully within the rights of the corporation to, to fire them. Okay. So and my... I'm not against unions, by the way. I'm not against yeah. unions. That was another thing you asked if I'm okay with unions. Again, as long as it's voluntary. So I don't think the government should be able to force companies to recognize unions or ha- allow them to have union votes. If a, if a given company wants to allow its, its employees to unionize, that's their prerogative. But the government should not be getting involved with force to ensure that uh, a given company allows union to form. Okay. Yeah. Then, um, yeah. So basically what I would say is this, this is kind of the, um, if it, if it feels like we might've gone around the same point again and again, it's because like, I understand and respect the moral foundation of your perspective. I just have a different perspective. My perspective is that the only thing that checks power is power. And it doesn't matter if it's private power or public power. Uh, basically good institutions, bad institutions, it doesn't matter. Um, these, these things basically need to check each other. And I view the state as not a benevolent force to, to check private power, but more as like a necessary evil that's required. Because when I look back at history, I understand like the, the, the tenets of the, the moral philosophy. But for me, I, I look back at history and maybe I'm getting a false history, but I see, uh, you know, laborers who didn't get fair shakes and were put in compromising positions and were kind of uh, forced to uh, do things that were morally reprehensible, if still legal, but were required to continue to work regardless because they had, uh, you know, as you had said, signed a voluntary contract. But it's difficult to be voluntary when you need to put food in your mouth. So that that would kind of be my my issue with it. But uh, we, we are coming up on the hour. Uh, so would you like to kind of like 
summarize your perspective, shout yourself out. If you have any like um, charities or special causes or projects that you want to shout out, um, would you like to uh, go ahead and, and uh, shout those things out? Uh, sure. I just uh, want to say thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, again, if, if anyone wants to find more of my work, you can check out my YouTube channel, Dan Norton one, youtube.com slash Dan Norton one. I'm also on Twitter at Dan Norton one, one, one. And uh, feel free to get in touch with me. If anyone else out there hears this is interested in having a discussion or debate with me, I invite you to uh, get me in touch. And uh, I guess that's it. All right. So I got a, I got a question for you. Do you, um, would you want to, because I, I know it's like a toxic scene and you seem a little bit more respectable and uh, non-profane than some of the people that I interact with. Uh, would you be interested in the Twitch uh, or YouTube panel debate scene or is that uh, too muddy and grubby for you? No, I would definitely be interested in giving that a try. I haven't done a panel before. I've so far just done one-on-one -on -one discussions. But I'm trying to grow my, my presence online, and mm -hmm. that might be a good way to do it, a good way to find more subscribers, wow. more viewers. So, yeah, definitely I'd be up for trying that. Okay, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend it uh, for those exact reasons that you just highlighted. And I'm just going to warn you, uh, you're going to hate me for getting you involved in this scene, but I think your labor instincts will appreciate what I'm about to say. Um, the <laughs> Basically, there are not enough right quote unquote right wingers right like you might not view yourself that way um but that's uh the way libertarians are viewed on the twitch space so you will be coming into quite a hostile environment but if you're able to articulate your arguments and you're able to maintain your right wing bona fides there is almost an unlimited amount of work for right wingers on twitch because basically uh it's dominated by leftists and progressives and they love to bring right-wingers on and then try to beat them up as aggressively as possible. So as long as you're okay throwing elbows in that space, uh, you will basically have unlimited exposure within the Twitch and YouTube political scene. So uh, I, I'll, I'll get you in contact with the people who can make that happen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that would, be, that would be much appreciated. I actually went on Sam Cedar's show a few times. There's some videos linking to it on my channel. He tries to mock me and uh, give me all kinds of guff when I go on his show. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely used to the insults and the, and the smears and all of that. But my, my primary concern is to get my view out there and have people whose opinions that I think uh, matter. I mean, I think a lot of people are just trolling others, but I want people who are seriously interested in the truth and finding out what's right to be able to hear these ideas. So Perfect. I put that as a priority above, you know, any of the, the nonsense that goes on. So. All right. Awesome. Sounds well, like Hey, it would be a good opportunity. Great. Then, uh, yeah, then I, I do appreciate the time. Thank you for uh, coming and hanging out with us. I do appreciate you. And then everybody go check out Dan Norton on Twitch and YouTube. I think you said that the Just project YouTube was right now. I don't, I, I don't have Twitch yet. Just, YouTube Oh, uh, right now. but, but Twitter though, right? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Twitter. And then, uh, the selfishness project, if I remember correct, right? Yeah, that's an easy way to find me. All right, perfect. Then thanks, buddy. I'm going to go talk to chat for a few minutes, and I hope you have a beautiful night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye, buddy.